Yeah, I was able to catch most of it. Um, definitely a hard act to follow, but uh, always, always filled with information and awesome, awesomeness overall. Great opinions and uh, great insights. So, uh, one of the things that I liked earlier on is uh, somebody I think in the in the chat asked the question about: Is there a way to kind of shortcut the learning curve of? you know, use basically using content creators in order to get up the learning curve that is the hobby faster than one would normally. And I liked how he answered that with, well, there's a difference between, you know, knowledge versus versus wisdom. You can gain some knowledge, but, you know, to, to gain a breadth of, of, of wisdom that somebody like you has, or I think the other example is Rich Klein, that's going to take time. And that's kind of the way I see it. There, there's really no substitute for that. Um, it would be in your best interest, of course, to you know, as somebody new to learn from more than just one platform, learn from more than one voice, varying opinions. You know, it's not just blowout forums. It's not just YouTube. It's not just Instagram, but, you know, immersing yourself. Um, also card shows, shop owners. I mean, that's how you really learn. And it's just like anything else in life. You know, practice makes perfect. Unless you're some sort of physical freak, you're not going to be a great golfer from from day one. Or if you take Two years off from practice, you're not going to be perfect. And practice kind of gets you there and it just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anything else from that episode that, uh, that, that kind of stuck out to you at all? Not to uh, be on the spot anymore, but if, 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 hey, if, no, if no. not, that's fine too. No, day drinking before the show. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never done it, but there's like, you know, I, I like to drink socially. I've got one right here, but there's certain places where I don't mix, you know, social drinking with, whatever it is that I'm doing. And that would be uh, going to casino. If you're planning to gamble, playing poker, it's just not something I do. Uh, maybe, maybe one to loosen up, but you know, more than that. And, and same thing at the card show, maybe I'll, I'll drink one if I'm bored for like, if there's like a lull, you know, couple hours where I don't have anything to check out. Maybe it's like the second or third day I'm there, but yeah. And you certainly w wouldn't want to day drink a ton and then go to the show, like you said, or else you have well, these are my top 10 technically, but these are the top 10 I want to share you know, with you guys because I regret those five. Yeah, I liked how he said that that wasn't on his list, but uh, but it's a good one for sure. It is a good one because, you know, you loosen up when you when you have some foreign substances in your body. And uh, and when you loosen up, you can just you can make decisions that you regret the next day. Uh, including card purchases, I, I've seen it. I've seen it happen before at card shows. There's a, at the expo in Toronto that I do twice a year when there's you know when there aren't uh, pandemics. Um, there's a couple of tables that are kind of known for drinking, you know, pouring their drinks under the table because it's not allowed at that show on the show floor, as far as I know. I don't think it is. So they they'd hide it, pour it, have it in like a you know a McDonald's Coke cup sort of thing, and they'd be drinking through there, and then you see. And then they're out there shopping, which is great. Yeah, you just hope they come to your table. So very, uh, very beneficial for certain sellers for sure. So, okay, let's, uh, I kind of wanted to, we started a couple minutes early. So for people who, Bobby Burrell says, we know those tables. Yes, we do, Bobby. Uh, I wanted to kind of just uh, have some light chat before the official start time, which we are still a few seconds before, but we have been live for about five minutes already, everybody. We did start a few minutes earlier than planned as we were both here just hanging out. So let's say hello to uh, Big Smooth, says hello, fellow grifters. We got, she blinded me with refractors. I believe that's Andy, says the legendary Filmington is in the house. Yes, he is. 
Big Smooth says Phil Orlando, huh? And here I thought his last name was Mington. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Phil, where are you? Where are you from? What city are you from? Ah, well, he kind of he kind of gave out a spoiler there, but uh, there's oh. there's a town that's yeah 20 30 minutes north of Boston called Wilmington, and my name's Phil, so that's how I came up with Filmington. So I don't know, maybe not the best branding, but at least it's easy to remember. It's one word. It's easy to search for on YouTube, which is kind of where I started my my presence. So yeah. Well, I didn't mean to spill it, but or but but I, to spoil it, but I did want to say Filmington from Wilmington. So there we go. Uh, and it makes a lot. Of, and hey, it is good branding because it sticks. Like people know people know that name, so I think it is good. Joe Galante, let's go, Phil. We got Avengers with Choice. Thanks us for doing the live stream. Victor's here again. Filmington, the Alpha Male. What's up, bro? There you go. There you go. Uh, Tyler says yes. Any eBay purchase I make on a Saturday night past eleven p.m. usually a bad one, for sure. Terry says a. Wisdom comes with experience for sure. Show me day drinking is why there are so many deals in Texas. Everyone had a drink on the table in the videos. There you go. Triple C, welcome back. Welcome back. Says uh, best, best baseball card YouTube channel I watch. Cheers, Phil. Very nice. Very nice. So if anyone is uh, you know, a regular of Sports Cards Live but is not familiar with, with Filmington, that's him right there. So welcome, Phil to the show glad to have you phil you're somebody who when i started consuming hobby content i found your channel like pretty quickly right away i i watched it and i i think like many people i'm not alone that i just i, I you're a likable guy you're just you're just a likable guy and i and i grew to i grew to like you pretty quick uh but we didn't you and i didn't communicate or um well, we just didn't communicate for several, several months, I, I guess. I don't know the first time we did, but it's not that long ago. Um, so that's my familiarity. What was your familiarity with me and Sports Cards Live? Uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it was like one of your first shows or if it was, it was certainly when you were kind of new, I think, because I think you were under a thousand subscribers. And I believe it was a Brian Gray um, and I know you've done multiple episodes with him, but, um, I saw it and I'm like, Oh, Brian Gray, CEO of Leaf, this is going to be great. And I saw there were some other people that I knew, uh, those back pages was in the comments at the time, I think and I was like, all right, all right. So it looks like this guy has been vetted. Jeremy's been vetted by, by Eric, those back pages. And you know, if he's here, then it must be a nice positive place to be. So, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've, um, I've really grown to like your channel. You've had amazing guests. It's almost like they, they continue to get better and the great ones from the beginning, you keep on bringing back on. So it's awesome. Um, your, your channel's great. And I'm not always because East coast time, I'm not always able to watch them live because of timing. Um, got a little one at home here, but I'm usually able to, to catch most of your episodes, uh, the following week or at least the, the day after or something. Well, anytime I hear that, it, it really is just such a, an honor, such a so it's just so nice to know that people watch, you know, especially as I like to call it in syndication when, when, when they're, when they're done and over. So thank you so much for that. And, uh, and it, it's just really nice to get to know you talk in person. We did meet a couple days ago, had a great chat, excited to see you at the national coming up in a few days here. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be, I mean, we, I, you know, just spent a good half hour talking about it with Dr. Beckett talked about it this morning. I've been talking about it for a long time. And I know I know a lot of people out there are like, hey, enough national. Enough. Now, it's one thing to say, you know, enough with the, um, you know, how do you prepare for the national videos? Because that, you know, there's only so many tips you really need for it. But as far as 
content that is all about passion and excitement for it, I can't get enough of it. So I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind rehashing it kind of over and over again as we lead up to it. But um, speaking of the national, <laughs> let's keep going on the national. So you're going. Are you there the whole time? Are you there right from uh, Wednesday through Sunday, or what? Uh, I wish I was. Um, I had to. I had to make some uh, compromises with the wife because I've gone on a lot of guys only trips this year. Uh, there was a wedding. There was a bachelor party. There was something else later in the year. There might be another bachelor party where we're going to Vegas. So uh, long story short, um, I was able to go for three days or plan it for three days. And I'm going to be arriving Wednesday morning. So I got the VIP pass. So I'll be uh, going to the, the show later that day. Thursday, Friday, I, I plan to be at the show each of both days, the full days, and I am departing on Saturday morning. So I probably won't be going to the show Saturday. Well, three full days is pretty good. And uh, so it's one thing to know that you're going to be at the show at the Stevens Center on the show floor for those three days. Are you, are you, do you have a booth? Are you sharing a booth? Or are you just going to be kind of walking around? I'm going to be just walking around. Um, I would have loved to have a booth, as I think a lot of people would. Um, I know, I know those sold out really early. I know you got really lucky, right, to get part of a booth to, to yourself. But um, no, not no, just uh, just walking around, which which is fine too, because you can still you can still buy, sell, and trade without having a booth. And the trade nights, the many trade nights, and we've talked about this a little bit offline, that'll certainly help facilitate those transactions. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, what are your you know, what are your thoughts on the extracurricular activities that are going to be going on? So, post show in the evenings. Um, you know, I, I've been to several nationals. I think you've been to a couple, a few, um, you know, the, I've always been fortunate to have some friends there. Uh, my brother's always been there. Uh, my great friend, Jeff is always there and I tend to hang out with these guys. So I've had friends and family and all that at the show. Uh, but this time it's going to be a lot of, um, sort of like party hopping. It feels like, are you, um, are you excited for that? Do you have some things kind of in the in the diary for that? The- yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe Gallant in the in the comments. So there's a well, there's a, obviously there's Card Collector Two's trade night. Uh, big presence on Instagram. What like 70k followers now, and he's having one. And his it was very popular and renowned from the the, the first time they had it. I think it was in 2019, or maybe they had it before that too. But the first time I had heard about it was a 2019 one, which I wasn't able to attend. So that's going to be Thursday. So um, Joe Gallant is actually hosting another trade night. And that is a little bit later in the evening, uh, at least from, from where it starts. I think it might actually be the same hotel at the Hyatt. So I plan to attend that. Um, it's going to be a lot of the Project 2020 artists and Project 70 artists that people know, especially if you're into baseball. Um, there's all these giveaways and stuff, too. And uh, Mike Moynihan, my friend Mike, baseball collector, he's hosting something a little bit more casual at the Embassy Suites. That's going to be 8 o'clock p.m. on Thursday. So I plan to hit up that for a little bit. So to your point of like party jumping, like there's <laughs> there's I don't know if there's gonna be enough time to eat and relax, like because like if you want to eat in a group and everybody's like hopping to different trade nights, it's probably gonna be kind of difficult to do that. And, and never mind like taking a break from cards. Um, I, I think Mike, baseball collector's uh thing will be pretty informal as will mine um so myself pepino man and eloy the goat another youtuber we're hosting something a little informal on um on friday um it's open to everybody not just collectors investors not just youtubers not just content creators but watchers of content and and, and stuff like that and that's going to be eight o'clock on friday at the lowe's hotel um and all these hotels are within walking distance from the national so 
that hopefully will be a little bit of a break, you know, dim those bright lights and um, maybe less car talk, maybe some more personal chatter, but we'll see. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't know when people that vlog the show and I might do some of that footage as well or just make, you know, top five footage updates or something. I, I, there's a lot of stuff you can do with content, but there's going to be a lot of people doing that and probably not enough time to edit. It's not as many hours in a day because at some point you have to sleep and get ready for the next day um, and make the most out of the show because that's why you're there too. So, yeah, if you're up all night editing, how are you going to get to the show when it opens at 10 a.m. or, you know, 930 with a VIP pass sort of thing, uh, unless you don't need sleep. You know, Ryan Nolan uh, from Breakout Cards, I don't think this guy needs sleep. So he's probably going to be able to to exploit all these uh, all these different uh, opportunities that are going to be present uh, during the show. Um, so, you know, is there something you're most excited for at the National? Anything, uh, any plans you have? Any general thoughts on on sort of the the show, the three days that you're there? Like, do you have a strategy for those three days? Or are you kind of more going in nimble, just willing to see where, when you turn left, when you turn right sort of thing? Um, You know, I'm going to have certain cards I'm going to bring to potentially sell or trade. If I'm not able to move them, that's okay. I'm going to have certain types of cards that I'm going to be targeting and in, in different categories, there's going to be some that might be cards that were on my radar towards the end of 2019. They're very popular kind of staple goat like rookie cards. And um, maybe they're not like short printed or anything, but maybe they saw um, enormous growth in the first quarter of this year. And maybe now they're down like 60 to 70% from highs. And I think they've overcorrected. So there's certain cards of those I might be targeting. There's also certain timing related type players um, and, and cards of those players that I might be um, trying to go after. And that's just like because of seasonality of the sport, because maybe the player just got injured. Maybe he's not in the news. Maybe he's just undervalued. And there's other, other um, kind of like more speculative type so that the third category would be like this speculative, like um, high risk. I think of like Zion Williamson, um, where there could still be some value there, but you're kind of gambling with your money a little bit. And, yeah. you know, and maybe you're looking for something like super short printed of that guy or uh, there's, there's there's a lot of different cards that I'm targeting, but I'm trying to be pretty disciplined about that with regards to like my goals as to how much I spend, how much I sell. That's sort of all up in the air. I'm trying not to limit myself there. Yeah. Yeah, I went. I don't know if I. Yeah, I can say it. I went to the to the bank yesterday and uh, kind of withdrew. You know, I'm in Canada. I withdrew some Canadian some uh, U.S. funds, and I and I thought to myself, you know, a couple of years ago this would have gotten me pretty far. Now, if this might be one, two, three cards, really depends what I find. So I'm not going in with any uh, real goal. No, no real major targets. Uh, Joe Perot, who might be in the audience tonight, uh, was chatting with him last night. And, um, you know, he, he, the one card that I'm really interested in, in adding to my collection, it's been the top of my want list for a long time now, is the 51 Bowman Willie Mays. I'd love that card. And my, my old target was a PSA 6, which now is in the, you know, $30,000 range. So, so I thought oh, maybe a four. And then he was quick to let me know it's over five, it's over five figures. Sorry, it, it's in the, it's in the five figures. So, where does that put you now? You know, if you're not spending five figures on a card, you're, you know, a PSA two, a really nice two, two and a half, a three, which is that nice enough for, you know, tough, tough to say. Um, okay. 
that, that I'm just, you know, just in terms of plans for the national, I, I'm, I'm going in kind of wide eyed and just uh, open eyed to see what is out there, what catches my eye, that sort of thing. Let's go to some comments, Phil, because we have we have plenty of them coming in. Uh, so we have Steve Sir says, hello, hello, Steve. Big Smooth says, Phil, isn't it hilarious that your most viewed upload isn't a baseball card? It's the going bald at 19 parody video. There he is. There, there, there's my bald guy right there. Not everybody uh, was follically blessed like you, Jeremy. So yeah. <laughs> I got to wear a hat to hide it. Very follically blessed. I like Bing Scott follows up and says to Big Smooth, there are more bald guys in this world than baseball card collectors. I have, I must make me think B B Bing Scott might be uh, just like you and me then, right? Triggerfinger has a question for you, Phil. Uh, I've developed an addiction to extractor cards, but the print runs are never shared or I can't find them. How do you rank extractors compared to other parallels like silvers, pinks, and golds, et cetera? Uh, well, based on what we can uh, presume, based on like the availability in the, in the, in the pop reports of extractors, and assuming you're talking about Topps Chrome and not Topps Chrome Update where they're, where they're numbered, um, and specifically we're talking about baseball because I'm not sure if this applies to, to other tops Chrome sports like soccer and F1, but uh, X Ractor, usually I put that behind. So not as valuable as sepia and pink. I'll put it. Um, so, sorry. So it's more valuable because it's more rare than sepia and pink. It's more valuable because it's more rare than the regular refractor. And it's also more valuable because it's more rare than the prism. But with regards to um, all the numbered stuff, and um, I guess the the only other non-numbered refractor that might be more valuable that I can think of right now on the spot is the the negative. So I put it somewhere in between the negative and the, the regular refractor. Uh, but it is dangerous a little bit in you know investing in a ton of those cards because you have no idea what Tops is going to do from one year to the next. So as long as you're being um, careful and prudent in what you do and Understanding the pops and print runs is something that you can better get an idea of if the product's like a couple years old. So, and knowing that will give you better peace of mind, I think. And the same thing goes with like short prints and super short prints because you can never, you can never just assume that the the print runs and pops from the year before is going to be the same for the non-numbered parallel stuff as it will be the the year forward and the years after that. Good point. Very, very true. Very true. Uh, Troy says, never say enough with national. That's a sin. I wish I could be going. Sorry, I, I do apologize for that, Troy. I won't I won't say that again. I promise. I promise. Joe Gallant, who is, uh, as Phil mentioned, is organizing the trade night with Blake Jameson and other tops artists. Let's everybody know it is Thursday, July 29th at, well, 9 p.m. is the one he's doing at the Higher Regency. And I believe I read the room right next door to the one at 6 p.m. that Card Collector 2 is organizing. So it's going to be a, a marathon of trade nights. But, um, you know, really, I don't see them as much. And this is my take on this. And I was at the Card Collector 2 trade night in 2019. I'm wearing the shirt tonight that I got there at the show. Um, to me, it's a social event, you know, it, and it puts everybody on the same playing field. You know, there are no dealers and there are no customers. Everyone is there on sort of equal footing. And, uh, you know, look at it as a social event more than like, you don't have to trade. You don't have to bring cards. I know Joe wants you to bring your cards to the trade night at nine o'clock. And I'm sure Ryan wants you to bring them to the trade night at six o'clock. But if you don't have cards to bring, if you're traveling without cards or you only have your pickups from the day, bring them, show them to people. If you only have money, bring it. People are going to trade you money for cards. Money is part of trading too. Don't forget that. So I want to make sure that everyone who's there and is able to come 
and it's open to everybody. So be sure you uh, be sure you check it out. Uh, Joe and uh, Blake Jameson, and would love to have you and myself and everyone there would love to see you. So make sure you guys come if you can. Big Smooth says, "Well, Bink, I guess it's ironic that I'm bald and a collector. Yeah, we're hitting two of those demographics: you, you, me, and Phil." Uh, Joe has a question for you, Phil. He says, despite your bro vibe, Filmington is a heady dude. I wonder if he could comment on the concept of the dispositional effect, which he brought up in his top 40 cards drop, which was awesome, by the way. What is the dispositional effect, Phil? Uh, so is it, my interpretation of that and the, the way I positioned it in that video that he's speaking about is it's when, as investors, in this applies to all investors, not just investors in sports cards or collectors of sports cards. Um, people are more likely to sell their winners and also hold on to their losers for too long. So basically, the, the, uh, maybe a more uh, intelligent way to think about that and less biased way to think about that would be to not not basically not assess any buying and selling decisions based on where you are in that card. Are you down 40 bucks? Are you up 40 bucks? Because if you're down, you might really want to make up for, you know, you might really want to make that back and maybe it goes back to, to zero. So I actually saw somebody um, comment on something like this in, uh, in on, on Facebook recently, and it was about the muds um, tops uh, you know, the, the whole public um, SPAC and, Muds is down from its high of probably about 18 bucks. Now it's around 11. And the person said, like, I just want to recoup my money. Um, but maybe you should ask yourself if this is really a loser. And maybe Muds isn't. But there's there's a pretty good chance it could, could just go down. There's no guarantee that you're going to be, be able to recoup your money. And that also stands on the other side of that. So, again, people are willing to or, or more willing um, to sell their winners too early. So just because you made 80% on something, maybe that name, whether it's a stock or a card, maybe that's more likely to continue to go up than your losers are to recover. So, and, and maybe not, maybe, you know, maybe it's a peak, maybe people have overreacted based on hype and maybe you should sell that, that player. But that was something that, um, I started to really take into account in my approach, uh, last year in my investing and holding stuff for longer than three to six months. Like, sure. I do have certain goals on certain cards where I want to make X amount. But some of the cards that I sold because they doubled or tripled, those would have been the better ones to hold versus some of the other stuff. Um, and um, I think somebody once asked Warren Buffett, like, when's when's the best time to sell a stock? And like, just generally, generically. And he said, you should, there is no best time because you should never want to sell a good stock. You should want to hold that forever. So think about that. Let that sink in. <laughs> no, that's, that, I'll never, I will never question a Warren Buffett uh, ism. Uh, the guy knows his stuff for sure. The one thing I'll say, as far you know, uh, as far as selling a card that has gone down in value, a lot of people don't want to lock in that loss, so they will they will hold that card, hoping it's going to go up one day. And I I say to that, you know, and of course there are nuances to every situation, but in many cases. You need to take that card and sell it, turn it into money, which you can then put into a different card, which you think may go up in value. Now, this isn't this can go for collectors or or flippers or dealers or investors, whatever it is. But really speaking to the investor here, I suppose, is, you know, things go down in value all the time. But that money 
you know, if it goes down and that player doesn't seem to be getting any better, you may be better off, you know, buying it. You bought it for 100, you sell it for 50, you take that 50 bucks, you buy something that has a better chance to go back up to 100 than the card it's currently in. And I think a lot of people just don't want to lock in that loss in the first place. So they, they just don't allow themselves the opportunity that I just spoke of. Right. Any comments on yeah. that? Yeah, there, there, and there could be other benefits too. Locking in a loss, it's towards the end of the calendar year or fiscal year, and you're doing it for tax purposes. Um, if you're if you're treating this like a business and you know reporting your 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 gains and losses, um, yeah, I mean, and another thing too is again starting last year, and I spoke about this a little bit in my top forty video. I started to, I started to to con- to really evaluate my portfolio as a portfolio. So at the end of the day, you know, what are the cards that I want to hold? What are the cards that I'm proud of that I want to keep? Because at the end of the day, that is my collection or inventory, whatever you want to call it. So if you're, you know, dead set on, you know, revenue and profit goals each year, then, okay, well, you made a ton of money by flipping those cards, but you just sold all your LeBron cards. You've got nothing left. And now, you know, if you want to like treat this like a true stock portfolio, well, now oh, I have a forty percent allocation to you know Danny Dimes and 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 Sam Darnold and you know, and then you're like, where am I? Then you kind of need to rebalance, and you're maybe you're selling stuff too early, and then you've kind of lost your way. Um, so it kind of keeps you a little focused more if you're just you're always looking at things in context of your total portfolio in, inventory and what you're going to have after that transaction. Yeah, lots, lots of lots of moving parts, really. I guess if you're if you're approaching it that way with uh, from the portfolio aspect, um, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my own cards, and you know, I often want, I often try, I'll often go through it and say, okay, what can I, what do I no longer love? What what do I, what can I move? Because I believe that the, you know, I have my personal collection and my inventory, my my card show cards I take as a as a vendor. And as I've said before, cards go between those two different groups semi-regularly. Quite often, I'll go shopping in, in my own stock. I'll go find a few cards. Like, no, I want those. Those are back in my PC. And they move back, and I scan them again, and I put them back in my with my other photo-sharing uh, folders and that. And, um, but it's, it's never just that cut and dry. And it changes with the mood, too. You know, so one, day it can, one day it's a card that I want to keep. One day it's a card that I want to move. And, uh, and it's not necessarily based on value, but that comes into play sometimes. It's, it's, it can be a full-time job managing a, lo- a collection, a large collection in terms of volume. You know, it can, it can take up a lot of time. Any thoughts, comments? Yeah, I know. And, and Jim Beckett, uh, Dr. Beckett previously said he's trying to rationalize, trying to consolidate his collection. And um, I kind of I feel the same way. I think it's easier to have fewer names, fewer cards, um, just easier to stay on top of it because there's always a window, whether that window is a buy, a hold, or a sell window. And it's a lot easier to, when if you're actively managing your um, inventory of cards like you would a portfolio, it's kind of tough to to cover all that stuff and optimize, you know, those those types of situations. Yeah, yeah, fair. Okay, a couple of comments. Michael Ham says, sleep is going to be rough at the National. Yeah, it's going to be. Chad says, are, are after-hour trade nights and parties open to anyone, mostly invite-only? Mostly open to, I mean, there's there's both, Chad. Trade nights are open to the public. Uh, I think it's going to be like maybe, you know, capacity-based, if anything. Um, and then there are, there are several, um, you know, a lot of companies are having parties for their customers and that kind of thing. So those are invite 
but there's 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 a there's a blend. There's definitely a blend. Bink wants to notice Canada still have the plastic coated type bills. They were never plastic coated. They were just made of plastic. And yes, we we still have those. Uh, we still have that as our as our cash here as our currency. Bink. Um, Troy says, great time to pick up a few treats at National, actually, to get a hold of a card or cards before purchase. No eBay fees, no shipping, no. Yeah, that's just buying a card in person at a show versus buying it on eBay or any platform. Uh, no no fees, no buyer premium, no, no eBay fees for the seller, no shipping, no risk of loss. And you get to inspect the card right then and there. You know, best bet, and I've already packed it but bring a loop bring a you know if you have a magnifying glass or a, a a 30 time or 40 times loop bring one of those i also recommend bringing a flashlight a nice one that you can just sort of that doesn't not one of those big ones but you know a little compact flashlight that you can um angle down on a card to really help you look for creases and wrinkles and that sort of thing especially if you're buying vintage make sure you bring those two things that you'll be set up really well if you have a loop and a flashlight yeah, on on the, on the modern stuff, you never realize how bad the lighting is at a show until you go home after you bought something and you see all the refractor lines on it that you're like, oh, Jesus, surface dimple, I missed that. And it's really frustrating. So, yeah, lighting is helpful with modern stuff, too, especially the chromium stuff. I want to welcome another bald guy into the into the room here. We're flipping Steve has joined us. Good evening, Steve. Thank you for joining uh, okay, let's see. With lots of comments, guys. Thanks. Oh, where did that one go? Filmington is the man. I just saw that somewhere. Gosh, I can't even uh, keep track right now of the comments, everybody. So I'm going to just pick a spot and go from there. Mitchell Trout, podcast listener, back again. This time I'm able to catch the main show. Great to have you. I love when someone who listens to the podcast comes in to watch the show itself. Triple uh, C says, Phil, what's your favorite PC pick in COVID and best sale in COVID? Um, you know, I, I picked up a couple big Juan Soto cards that have done well. Uh, one of those I sold. Um, uh, yeah, I, I ended up like more than 10 times in my money after fees. So that was good, um, on, on that card and, uh, kind of timing it pretty well with Soto, even though his prices are coming back a bit. I think the sale was at the beginning of, of April maybe. So, uh, there, there's some other good, uh, picks I, 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 uh, Barry Bonds, 86, Tops Traded, Tiffany, PSA 10. I picked up three of those. I think those, yeah, that, that was after COVID because that was around like May-ish, after COVID started at least. Um, I ended up selling two of those and I kept one. Um, if I did it the smart way, sure, I would have sold it in January, February. But, you know, it's kind of a card I want to hold long term. So I'm happy to have uh, one of those still. Yeah. Good stuff. Michael Ham says good stock equals goats, which I agree. And I know there's been some some commentary on, you know, the goats don't necessarily uh, go up in value over time. But uh, I think overall they do. Uh, that's just been my 40 years of experience in holding them and they've gone up in value. Uh, Mike Wick says uh, good point. Better to sell and take a loss than hold until it's completely worthless. True, which I've done right. before and don't recommend. Yeah, completely agree with that. One for the task, great advice on selling losers in the portfolio. If you don't dump a bad investment card, then eventually I guess you just become a hoarder. Fair enough, fair enough for sure. Uh, okay, here we go. Trigger says another positive about selling cards for a loss is that I don't have to look at them again every day and be reminded of my bad investment. So that's that's mental health, which is important too. And I agree, I agree with that. You don't wanna constantly be reminded of a, 
of a, a decision that didn't work out for you or a card that you regret buying in, from the first place. Will says, I find it easier to sell losers in cards and other intangible assets. Just don't want hmm. the clutter. Very fair. Very fair. So, Phil, okay, let's talk about you a bit. I promised, you know, I promised everybody that we were going to talk about your origin story in the hobby because you've, as you told me, you've never really talked about it too much. So let's, uh, I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about your YouTube experience because you've been a YouTuber for a little while now. So I want to hear about that, but let's start, let's go back to the old days. What is your, what is your first memory of sports cards? Take us from there all the way till starting your YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, I well, I loved sports as a kid, especially baseball. I was a big Red Sox fan, and I loved sports cards. Um, something about the cards, and you know, at the time, the investing aspect wasn't a, a big thing. Obviously, that was one of the things that probably led to first crash, where a lot of people began to hoard that and think that they were going to get rich off those cards. So that was always kind of back of mind with me, like thinking like, oh, I could become rich one day, even though I was like seven or eight years old. But I loved Ken Griffey Jr. I had a ton of his cards. I think at one point I had over, I know at one point I had over a hundred cards. I don't know if they were all unique Griffey cards, but they were, I had a lot of them. I didn't have any 89 upper deck cards because I, I couldn't afford them as a kid. I couldn't afford the packs. I thought $3 was expensive. I think we all did. I think our parents all kind of understood that. Um, but yeah, going to uh, card stores, uh, small card shows. Uh, I went to Cooperstown as a kid. That was really fun. Um, that was at the time where the uh, the '85 Tops Maguire card was nuts. So the the rack packs of '85 Tops were in the stores and um, were super expensive. Um, although I think they've come back on, on at least '85 Tops. Maybe not the the stuff afterwards as much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just loved I loved sports cards as a kid. And, um, looking at the backs of the cards kind of, kind of led me into like understanding my passion to, to, to really monitor and, and, and evaluate statistics. Um, and that's something that I eventually got into probably around 2000. So I probably gave up on the cards at around like 98 when, when I think a lot of us kind of did, um, once we realized that, okay, that this crash is for real and it's, it's, we're not coming back, um, anytime soon. Um, and all the, a lot of the card stores closed at that point and, yeah. Um, many of the shows did as well. So around, around 2000 year, 2000s, when I got into fantasy baseball and, um, the reason why that's relevant is because that's what ultimately got me back into cards right around like 2014 fantasy baseball was great. Um, I was not doing the daily fantasy leagues. I don't know if they had them in 2014. And to this day, I'm, I'm still not, I was doing more of the weekly lineups where you, you know, you're, you're doing that, the snake draft in a room or online with your, with your friends or the auction drafts and you're picking a you know, roster of a, of a team yourself. And what I was realizing was that, you know, th this is fun. It's great to do fantasy sports for, for fun and for bragging rights. And you can win a little bit of money, but this isn't the best way for me to get direct exposure to a certain player. Um, and this, you know, enter Phil as the, the flipper into sports cards. And I think a lot of investors, card investors, um, start as either a collector or even a flipper. If you're starting as a flipper, you, you kind of need to because you're kind of building your, your bankroll and you're flipping smaller cards into bigger cards. You're maybe investing more of your discretionary income if you have to, and eventually you get to a place where, okay, you can start to hold stuff longer. But when I started in 2014, I, I was buying cards from eBay. And that's kind of when I, I made all my, you know, the, the junior mistakes. 
um, buying the, the wrong brands, buying the wrong um, grades, the wrong grading companies, the wrong players. I always trusted my instincts and my ability to evaluate talent with fantasy baseball, but it, it's, it's very different. You know, there are some parallels with sports cards, but there are differences as well. Um, like players that steal a lot of bases and don't contribute it, contribute in many other ways or pitchers, which are very important fantasy baseball, not quite as much for, for probably very good reason in, in sports cards. So, you know, at the time I was kind of, I didn't realize there was a social media aspect. Obviously there was one, it was a lot smaller, but there still was one. I was using blowout forms a little bit to kind of understand like the Bowman Chrome multipliers and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and I was just like, you know, picking like Alex Bregman was one of the guys I picked at the time to buy. Um, and, and throughout the years from 20, and that was obviously after 2014, but through 2014 to 2018, I was like just betting on individual players a little bit. And then when 2018 came, um, that's when Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto debuted and they really caught my eye. And I think that, that when I recognized that young crop of talent and that it was very different than what we had seen in the previous years that, okay, you know, maybe I'll start buying more and start spending a little bit more time and money into this. And that's when I started to watch YouTube content. Uh, some of the first channels I saw were Baseball Collector, uh, Mike O, uh, Nolan, Aliko 3, of course, Jabs Family at the time. If you started watching content in 2018, 2019, he was probably one of the first channels you saw, especially if you were a baseball guy. And all these guys are baseball guys. Um, predominantly, uh, Lico three does other sports too, but, but yeah. And, and, and I was watching content and I'm like, you know what? I could probably, I could probably make content. Um, and, and these people for the most part, a lot of the channels I was watching and a lot of what was around back then were more collector types. But even though I had slightly different, well, even though my motives were very different, um, in that money was a somewhat of a primary objective from what I was taking from this, I still really liked their their passion because I still had a passion for cards. I to this day I have an emotional attachment to the players too, and um, and then I started making my own content shortly after that. So I think I published my first YouTube video probably in October of 2018, maybe. Um, and at the time, nobody was you know using fancy editing equipment. To this day, I'm using smartphones as my primary way to record videos, and I've got to get with the times there. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, it, it was something that definitely got me more, it, it glued me in a little bit more. It became more sticky once I got into the community and I was watching other people's videos and commenting and interacting. And although I considered myself a black sheep at the beginning, because everybody was saying like, oh, well, Phil's an investor and he sells cards. And to be honest at the time, again, all these collector channels, it, it was frowned down upon to talk about selling cards, to talk about how much money you got from a card or, or flipping a card. Um, maybe, maybe people did it, maybe they did it seldomly, but it wasn't something that people talked about and they certainly wouldn't center a whole video around that. But these same collectors, they kind of pushed me to get into more of that, like, you know, investment commentary and, um, eventually getting into prospecting and speculation because they saw that, you know, that's the way my brain was wired. That's what I was interested in. And then I was like, all right, let's uh, do this. And the channel ended up ticking up a bit and, um, um, I ended up uh, making this into somewhat of a, a full-time, part-time business where I opened up an LLC in 2019. Um, 
And uh, that made it even more sticky. So creating the content and then the LLC, I launched a subscription product, the Rookie Card Explosion Box, um, where it's I've had that for almost three years, 216 very happy customers, probably a turnover rate of under 2%. Um, the, the subscribers really like that. And uh, but still, you know, doing the, the flipping of cards, the investing of cards. Um, and now, you know, 2020, 2021, the, the YouTube content has slowed down, as probably a lot of you noticed. Um, there's a lot more competition, too, with content, which is probably hurt. Uh, the fact that I'm not using the most like updated equipment, uh, a little antiquated from from that perspective, probably isn't helping either. But it's mostly I, I think it, I chalk it up to this the uh, the amount of content that I'm providing. It's um it's it, it's a regular um, instead of doing when I started, it was like two to three videos a week. Now you might get that per month, and that is because of you know it, it's the other aspects of the hobby that are sucking up more of my time. I mean, if you look at like how volatile the um the card market has been over the course of the last you know six to nine months you know these are like buying and selling windows that i need to take advantage of and so the flipping of cards that all gets ticked up so the buying and the selling perspective gets ticked up there's also some other stuff that i can't announce yet but that um, i've also gotten involved with in um in january it's not a startup but it's also something else that i'm working on and uh, yeah, I've got some life changes that happened within the past year so that's kind of affected my ability to put out content but yeah, I mean, I'm in the hobby just as much, if not more, than I've ever been, and I'm really excited for the national. Um, I hope at one point to be able to produce, you know, maybe one video per week. I'm um, gonna get back to at least that, you know, with the uh, the one year old at home and, and everything else going on. I, I'd like to be able to do that because it it makes me very happy. Um, another one of the reasons why I started making content is because I felt like I needed a new hobby, and my primary job, which isn't related to sports cards, that involved me traveling. So I felt that's something I could do on the road. I can make videos, record them from a hotel room. Um, I can even open up packs in a hotel room, you know? So, yeah. So here I am. Whoa. Okay. I thought that's one of the longest I've ever gone without talking on this show. Thank you for that. That was, that was very relaxing for me uh, and, and really interesting. So I appreciate that. So you mentioned that, you know, you're not, you're not producing as many videos as you used to. And a lot of it is, you know, is life, life activity and life happenings and that there's more competition now with, with, uh, content creators as someone who, and I, I asked Mike Moynihan the same question when he was on with me, cause he's for me, an OG, even though he says he's got his OG guys, but you know, we all have our own OG guys, right? He was, he's an OG for me as, as you are actually for me consuming content. So I'll ask you the same question I asked him, which was, how do you, how do you, it seems redundant because, you know, I was saying, how, how has, how has it changed since you've come in? I mean, you've only been in it for three years, but what's, what are some of the biggest changes you're seeing? And, you know, do, do you, do you feel the need to kind of uh, adjust your, your content approach to, to keep up now, or are you just going to kind of do what you're doing and just maybe step it up a level itself or just keep on keep on status quo what, what can you address that kind of mix of questions i just asked you yeah yeah i'll try to start with like what's changed um when i started i explained a little bit about the types of people that were involved the types of hobbyists that were making content um the, the way i would describe their genres at the time you had people that were doing you had some vlogging 
not a whole lot, but you had some vlogging that were doing show footage, not a whole lot at all. Um, you had people that would show off their collection or some cards they picked up, maybe some PSA reveals. And you had breakers, whether they were doing it on the behalf of you know people and it was like a profitable venture for them, or if they were breaking on their own, doing a product review. Now, um, there's a lot more coverage on like that whole investment market commentary piece of things. So for me, um, I, I feel like, you know, it's challenged me, even though I'm, I'm baseball only for the most part. So a lot of the videos I make have clear parallels and I intend that to be the case across other sports as well. Um, so there is some commonality there. So it forces me to, okay, like, especially since I'm not doing like, you know, daily stuff where it would be somewhat acceptable to have a take that was already done by like, you know, somebody else the day before or somebody else that morning. And I, I, I need to say something provocative. I need to say something that's that's different, that's original, where there's a, a true value-added insight. Um, so I kind of hold myself up to that standard, and that can make it quite challenging to come up with a concept for a video. Um, another thing that's changed is um, maybe it was just like the echo chamber chamber I was living in when I started with YouTube in that I was getting pushed baseball content, but it seems like there's now a whole lot more coverage on modern basketball and football. Um, and you know, that could have started with sports card investor, um, shortly after that, I'm, I'm not sure when it happened, but it seems like that's the case and it would make sense because that's coincided with the growth of those two modern markets, which has been quite amazing. Just ask Panini, of course, about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Let's go to some comments. There's, there's a ton, uh, there's a ton where both 17 minutes behind. So we're just going to work through them and, um, where we can, where where I can uh, pass it to you, I will, and where I will, and I'll just try to get through as many as I can, though. Uh, Amit Cardboard Culture says, "I miss the sound of a show. Kind of the same feeling gamblers say when they hear the sound of a casino. Yeah, all the quarters falling out of the slot machine, right? We will live vicariously through you both, for sure, Amit. I, I you know, it's funny because I'll be there, and when I get back, I'm going to consume the content because I'm not looking through everybody else's lens. So I definitely will." Troy says, I guess I'm a collector hoarder, have difficulty selling cards. I look at cards more for my PC versus investment. For sure. And you know, just to be just to be clear, and I don't, you know, being a hoarder, I think as a collector, we are hoarders to a degree. You know, there's different, there's different degrees of hoarding, but we're all, I'm a hoarder. I admit it. I've got boxes of cards. But uh, but even as a hoarder, even as a collector slash hoarder, we can take every so often. You, you know, you, I give myself permission to sell cards from my personal collection because I believe that the PC is fluid. It's always kind of transforming as we as humans transform. My, my take. Uh, AZ says exactly just so, got a 2016 card, come back as a PSA 6. No white, no lines that I can see, bought at a show. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, if you just needed better lighting uh, at the purchase, at the point of purchase. Sorry to hear about your PSA 6. Uh, name from Indigenous Ricky Cards. Uh, enjoying listening in again. Welcome, Filmington. Welcome, name. And thank you for welcoming Filmington to the show. Uh, Amit says, it's the podcast-themed national. We will see so much content. I'm excited to see the videos and Instagrams and tickies and all this, or sorry, TikToks and whatever else is out there. For sure, there will be, there will be a lot of that. Um, some comments. I'm not sure. Not really. Uh, when they're between you guys, I'll just try to leave those ones alone. Gimmicky says, Jeremy, do you think the expo in Toronto will be happening in November still this year? And Phil, have you ever been to a show in Canada? Phil has no, not. I haven't. 
Phil has not been to a show. Uh, I do think it's going to happen in November, uh, gimmicky. I, I really do think it will happen, and I will definitely be there. Um, if it's not happening, I'm still going to go. I will park. I will set up a table right outside of Hall 5. Uh, come see me there. I'll be the only vendor on display if it's not actually happening. But note to people who will be there, it's not going to be in Hall 5 again. It's going to be moving to another one. That is a, that is a for sure thing. It's moving to a different hall at the International Center. Okay, I'm going to see what else we have here, guys. Big Smooth. Phil, what do you think about the massive amount of the Juan Soto Tops Chrome Update rookie cards and PSA slabs? It has a pop count of 11,178 and a gem rate of 90%. And the backlog isn't even cleared yet. How does that, how does that make you feel? Well, I, I picked up a lot of those cards. I've sold almost all of them in graded form. Or raw. Um, I mean, if if the good thing about that product is that it's from 2018, which means it's not from the last two and a half years, which is a good thing for printing. Even though 2018 is still considered ultra modern by PSA, it's a Target exclusive release. Um, but it's a product Chrome update. They don't print nearly as much of as the regular Chrome. Which in the regular Chrome, it's selling for quite a lot um, in, in sealed form, especially. So. I wouldn't worry about that too much. I don't think you're going to get up to the uh, the Luca Prism or the Zion Prism base PSA 10 numbers with Soto ever. I don't think that's possible, just based on print runs. That's, thanks for that answer, Phil. I'm just laughing at Bob Lewis's comment. I just found it here. He says, this video has to have the baldest thumbnail pick ever used. Yeah, hey, it does. <laughs> Two bald dudes right on it. Bob Lewis. Bob, I enjoyed your uh, your uh, your sub video today. Thank you for that. That was fair. Bing Scott bringing back the floating heads. I like that's that's the way that, that's the way we brand sports cards live. Thank you guys for uh, for bringing attention. Trigger finger lets us know that this video is sponsored by Propecia. See the code below and get thirty percent off your next purchase. Actually, it's actually hair club for men. Uh, trigger. But uh, we'll get you a, we'll, we'll get you a deal with them as well. I promise you that. Yeah, Propecia is expensive, so you'll need that thirty percent off. Um, well, is it Phil? Well, you can get it for Canada from Canada for cheaper. You you might know about that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't at all. I've never uh, never done any of those things. No, actually, I I, I haven't. Uh, show me hit a small show today was a great was great once first one since March. Hey, very nice, very nice. Uh, Mr. Dub, he heard, Phil, that you're hiring a private camera crew to, crew to follow you around the National this year. Tell us about that. Uh, he's just messing around. So, But Mr. Dub, actually, he doesn't know this, but uh, I'm going to be asking him to hold the camera. I might be buying a new camera. I heard the Sony ZV-1 is the uh, the go-to for, for vloggers, at least the um, entry-level camera. Um, <laughs> so I hope he knows how to use one because I sure don't at this point. Uh, well, but, I, yeah, he might he might have to do some of the, uh, the vlogging. We'll see. I've been motivated by some of these, uh, some of the the YouTubers that are doing this stuff. Not just Sasha T, but Santiago Sports. And I'm like, yeah, they're keeping it real, and I like it. I like their vibe. So might need to try to. I don't know if I can get a, get away with that type of style, but <laughs> it uh, it got me re interested in making national content vlogging vlogging style. I hope you do. I'd love to see your take on that, and I enjoy that style of content. So. Uh, please keep it coming, everybody, and I'd love to see you uh, jump into the into those waters, Phil. AZ Brothers says, "Awesome to hear the backstory behind the health, the film behind the Filmington come up." 
great content. Love watching the videos and these live shows. Well, thanks on behalf of both of us, AZ. Mike Wick, I've also noticed the hype over basketball cards the last few years. Great for the sports card hobby, I suppose, but I too am mostly baseball, but do love 80s basketball. Very cool, very cool. Uh, <laughs> two bald dudes, one vlog. That's a play on that. That's a play on something. I know that's a play on. Troy says 11,000 Sotos means everyone has one and more to come from backlog. Side note, I don't have one. I don't either, Troy. And, you know, I've asked this question historically a few times when talking about Luca Prism base and even Luca Prism silver, uh, PSA 10s and all that. You know, what is what is too many? Like how many people in the world want a Luca rookie card and a PSA 10 holder? How many can afford one is, is 15. I don't know what the pop is. I'm guessing it's closing in on 20,000 now, but is 20,000 enough? Is it too much? Is it not enough? I think most people think it's too much. I've always thought to myself though, you know, you get more than 20,000 people live to one Dallas Mavericks game. Wouldn't everybody there kind of want one if they knew about them? And I know that's probably not, but what are your, what are your thoughts when you think about Phil, when you think about a large pop count like that in the context of how many people fit into that one team's building and here i am some kid in canada and i've got a luca prism psa 10 and my that i bought at the national two years ago for 40 bucks i have one of those twenty thousand, and i'm no yeah. i'm nowhere near dallas so how many is too many and can can the can the hobby and sports fans consume twenty thousand of a single card or eleven thousand, say of a soto I mean, I think the way Gary Vee would answer this is it's all based on supply and demand. So it's all based on the demand, which could vary from time to time. It might be not enough now, um, but maybe it's it's too much five years from now. Maybe it's too many five years from now. And I think it depends on the player. I don't think there's a magic number. But one of the things that comes to mind for me, at least, when you think of all these base cards, it's not 20,000 people that owns one. There could be 10,000 people, because there's a few of those people that own hundreds. Um, so maybe there's 5,000 people that own the 20,000. And then what happens is there's the possibility that the market could be significantly disrupted if there's some sort of exit event from those few people, because um, things aren't going to go down unless the sales start trickling in. When that transaction you know, pattern starts to tick up quite a bit, and it's a lot more than it was from based on the 90 days before that, then that's when you see that sort of crash in the prices. So it might seem like, oh, wow, yeah, 17,000 people want this card. But reality, 17,000 people don't own it. Is there a time when 17,000 people will own one? Maybe we'll see. But the path to that would mean that, you know, with all those transactions coming in that with the price, where would the price really be supported? You know, where, where, and where would that resistance line come in um, or support line come in? So I don't know. Um, Generally, there's other options too. 20,000 people might want to own a Luca card, but there's other options. Um, and maybe Zion's the one that has all the PSA 10 base um, cards, like about a 20,000 pop. But there's the PSA 9s, there's the Silvers, there's the Selects, it's just second year stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It's not It's not that simple. Um, and, and as years go on, there's just more and more options for like alternate rookie cards of said player. So it... It's difficult. It's become so difficult for me, whether it's basketball or baseball, there's so many products and so many inserts within those. Um, you can feel very strongly about a player, but you don't have to feel strongly about their cards like Joe Burrow and, and, and Herbert. Joe Burrow's got a lot of grit. Herbert showed a lot of talent last year. Maybe I like both of those guys, but 
maybe now is not the best time to buy them. And you have to also consider maybe within the next three years, there's going to be better alternatives. Maybe there's guys that just make more sense. Um, and that's just my opinion. You know, I think in football, there could be from my perspective, but other people might think that if they prove something, then their cards will shoot up and maybe they will, maybe I'll be wrong. And that people will be betting on that hype curve. And, um, a lot of their values will be able to kind of, they'll be able to blow up a little bit just based off of what they could accomplish in the future too, based on what they show this coming year. And I get that. So, yeah, you know, what? I, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, as far as demand for a player, a current player, like a, like a Giannis, for example, a Luca, a Zion, the, the demand curve for these players follows very closely their performance curve, almost to the minute in some cases, to, to the day, you know? Meanwhile, the supply curve only goes in one direction. That's up as more and more cards come out of grading companies. But over time, that you know, once we get past this kind of 2021 backlog uh, point in time, it's going to start to level off. You know, it's going to it's going to it's going to hit a plateau at some point in time because they only printed so many of those. Whatever that number is, nobody knows. So, you know, the supply and demand is you know at the basis of economics and markets and all that. But the 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 curves, you know, it's it's a bit different than the supply and demand for a commodity or the supply and demand for a share of Apple or something like that because the the population moves it changes of course performance for a stock is it's the same sort of thing right and oftentimes mm -hmm. people can get ahead of the curve because of they get information leaked and that kind of thing but it's just it's it's interesting that you know right now the demand for a Giannis card and you said this is what made me think of it is that right now the demand for the Giannis card is going to be peaking because he just did something so great and everyone loves the guy but five, three, two, two, three, four, five years from now, people either have that card, they don't need another one, or he's not turning heads like he is right now. He's not uh, making the headlines every night anymore or winning championships and MVPs. Or the next flavor of the month rookies come along and, and a couple more have come along. So the demand of 15 to 20,000 for some of these guys might be, sorry, the supply might be uh, currently, you know, I know it's a lot, but it might be as right now as it'll ever be. And it'll only become less right as time goes by mm -hmm. until they become legendary, iconic Hall of Famers like LeBron's, Kobe's and Michael Jordan's. If, if, if guys become if guys get there. So I'm kind of thinking on the fly here on that. I don't know if that made sense, but. Yeah, I mean, it, and that, that just kind of you're just proving like the um, the validity of sealed wax being a good investment because. Obviously, it has the opposite problem where you have a, a fixed supply that dwindles, that goes down. Um, and and if you want to take that further and unpack it a little bit more, sealed wax is not something that gets pumped on social media, really, as an investment. Um, it's also not something that many, very many people are educated on. It's also something that's very difficult to do for people to, to sit on wax. Um, and of course, the diversification benefits and... Uh, yeah, the uh, the risk reward proposition there is is more attractive than most single cards for sure. You don't have that that upside, the, you know, the the ability to really hit a home run with it potentially. Even you, know, you still could, but technically, you know, you're better off if that's to explode. You'd really want to pick the, the the single card in there that exploded to get the maximum uh, leverage if you yeah. knew which one that was going to be.
Exactly. We have Victory Investments in the house. Sean, welcome. Says I tuned in right during the hair balding talk. This is definitely, a, hey, listen, just because you got hair, Sean, don't doesn't mean you can come in here and make fun of the bald guys. Uh, Sean's got a good head of hair. Guy, and uh, kudos on his, uh, he just dropped a video, a short video on his Instagram and YouTube today about uh, his favorite Jackie Robinson piece in his collection. Check that out, guys, if you haven't seen it yet. Mr. Dub's going to be shadowing you, Phil, for the most part at the uh, National, following you like a little puppy. Isn't that nice? He's not very nice. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Victory, Sean wants to know, are you still actively collecting and adding cards to your PC? Uh, so I talked a little bit about this with, with Jeremy. I don't... <sighs> So if a PC is defined as a, uh, a player where you collect their cards that you never intend to sell them, um, then I don't really have a PC. Um, but there are certain players that I go after more than others that I intend to hold for longer periods. It would take more money, more time for me to kind of get rid of these cards. But Juan Soto would be the one. Uh, right now, his, his, the values kind of came back up. So I'm kind of... I'm going after other players instead. So I guess right now I'm not really, um, although you could say um, I've got this uh, kind of this fetish with Panini Prism unlicensed baseball cards from 2018, Acuna and Soto. And I've been picking those up just because they weren't printed a whole lot, but it's probably not the wisest investment. That's like a really long-term play too, because yeah, you know, there's really not a whole lot of demand for those cards right now, not having the, uh, the logos on them. But I guess to answer your question, no. Fair. Uh, card God. Card God, I hope no one here knows what you look like because Card God is wants to know what is the best way to carry around substantial cash at the national. He's bringing sixty to ninety thousand dollars with him, and still weighing your options on transport. I would say uh, money belt under your shirt, money belt basically uh, against the front of your body. That's a lot of money. You don't want that to go missing, Phil. What do you got to say to that? I don't know if that's a serious question, but that's really funny. I don't know. Uh, duffel bag, briefcase. Uh, what you just said actually is probably a better way. Um, just make sure you get it through security and they don't take it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, have fun. You're, you're going to have fun at the show card, God. So uh, kudos to you. Uh, you're going to make some vendors very happy. There will be people with more money than that on them for sure. Uh, just to to be certain. So, uh, but you, you, that's a good that's a good wad for sure. Enjoy the show. Hope to see you there. Rod McGrath. Filmington is the guy. I've learned so much from him. Congrats from Australia. Very nice, Rod, and welcome to Sports Cards Live. Welcome, everybody. Great viewership, Phil. You're, you're, I want to, here, I got to do this. I like to thank the guests that I have, like Phil, Filmington, who, uh, who bring more people to the channel, get to, get to meet me and, uh, and the chat and sports, get exposed to Sports Cards Live. So if you are new, uh, thank you for joining. You know, if you're willing to, I'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the channel. I do bring great interviews every Saturday. And uh, except for next Saturday at night, well, and I will be at the National, but we'll see. We'll get some things done anyway. But uh, welcome, everybody who's new to the channel. It's great to have you. Triggerfinger says, I like Fields and Lawrence the best right now, but I always wait on rookie QBs as the bust factor is too big for me. I'm buying more Minshew cards waiting for a trade. I think, yeah, you got to wait. You got to wait. I always say buy rookies a year after they're a rookie because that's when people are on to the next thing, the next rookie, and you're you know, 90% of the time going to save money. But that can be our little secret, uh, the 105 of us that are here right now. Frankie says, the problem I see with high population cards is the actual gem rate. There are over 20,000 MJ Fleer rookies graded, but it's the gems that hold extra value. If the gem card is not rare, could be a problem. And that's 
that's what we're seeing with a 90% gem rate on the Sotos that was mentioned earlier. Right. You know, it's a totally different card, totally different population makeup uh, when you're comparing those two. It, it, it needs to be population breakdown is so important. Phil, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's hugely important. Um, and the, the data tools have been doing a great job in getting that incorporated uh, for, for, for most of their cards that they have in there, I believe, and that you need that information. You absolutely do. And it helps if you understand the total amount that were graded in all grades too, because that matters as well. And because understanding that gem rate, that's, that's important, especially for a newer set where it's not quite established yet. Um, and with, we talked about the Soto Topps Chrome update being over 90% PSA 10. Yeah. I mean, even most ultra modern or most modern sets being around like the 40 to 60% range, like that's still a lot compared to the junk wax era compared to that, you know, 86 Fleer Jordan compared to the 93 SVG or some of these other, you know, sets, um, were were very different, even though, uh, maybe not the 93 SP, but a lot of the stuff that came out in the eighties was printed a hell of a lot more than what was today. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I want to actually let's go to this one for a second. Mike Wick says, even with a 10,000 pop of a certain grade of 10 card, there may still be more. Hold on, I got to read this one again. I, I'm not following. Even with a 10,000 pop of a certain grade of 10 card, there may still be a million people that want one and competing to get it. So, saying that there might be, yeah, the 10,000 pop might not be super high if there aren't many tens, I think is what he's saying. To your point, Phil, though. Not only do you need to understand the full pop breakdown of the PSAs, but you also need to know the total pop of the major grading companies. Yes, the PSA, very important. PSA BGS uh, for sure. And then yeah, it, starting this year, SGC, because it's the only yeah. option right now. And if you're a uh, Lamello Prism, uh, pick your you know player from this year with NFL Prism or NFL Select. Um, well, Select would be last year because it's they came out a little bit later, but... SGC is going to be very important to track for ultra modern because of that. I think right now, I think the best value proposition is to use SGC for a lot of cards for a lot of what comes out of a standard pack. Um, I would rather, um, especially if you're in it for the money, you want to make a quick flip out of it, or if you want to hold it for PC, even I think SGC is a, a great, uh, great option right now. Yeah. Okay. Very, very fair. Uh, baseball card exchange. I won't buy anything post 2018 unless it's serially serial numbered or an SP insert like color blast or kaboom. Uh, I don't disagree with that at all. Like I, I, my approach is, is very similar. My approach is similar, even going back further than that though. So, uh, yeah, well, well said we're on the same page there. Uh, okay. Gosh, the comments guys, you guys, you guys are active. I appreciate it. I want to find, I want to find the gems out of here. AZ says, so are we now in a place where there are really few long-term holds and now focus on selling big players earlier? Ah, it's a tough question. I think, I think, you know, while Phil's pondering, I think it comes back to what we were just talking about in terms of rare cards, you know, there, and, and that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about base cards and people are grading too many base cards. And then, and then one contingent of the hobby says, well, I collect base cards. I should be able to grade them, which they should. If you like them, that's what you want. You have the right to send them in for grading. But if you want, if you're, if that's what you collect, all the power to you. But if you're looking for cards that are going to go up in value and hold their value, I think you're much safer, especially ultra modern, last four or five years through now, you're better off with rarer cards versus the base prism type or the tops chrome type of thing. Phil, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and we witnessed it firsthand that when there's a giant fire sale across the hobby, 
when the hobby does go down in aggregate 30 to 50% in a quarter that the first cards that get sold um, and the first cards that people undercut each other on are the ones that are in more abundance, the the base cards. But having said that, I actually made a video about this uh, a few weeks, months ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I did with Scotty B Cards, another baseball card content creator. And we talked about the merits of base cards being still a possible investment. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, sure, nobody wants base cards right now. At the National, the hottest cards will probably be RPAs and really rare refractors and prisms of the top goat-like players. But but at the end of the day, there was a reason why we sought base cards. We There was a reason why they were valuable. And that could be because they were more liquid, easy to sell. Maybe it was an entry-level card to get into before you got into a bigger card. Maybe it's because it's the collector's card. So it's always going to have like some floors worth of value, um, assuming you're buying the right card, the right sets. So I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't think it's fair to say or make a blanket statement saying that all base cards are are worthless because they're not all the same we talked about you know the, the differences of demand with any given player or card and also differences of supplies so there are some base cards you know there's a guy from 2011 tops update where he's got about 5,000 in psa 10 um maybe with with zion 20,000 is a lot but with trout is, is 5,000 a lot especially considering trout had a lot fewer rookie cards kind of across the board um and the, he didn't have a Topps Chrome card that year, and he didn't have a Topps Heritage rookie card. So, I don't know, all stuff to consider. Yeah, definitely. Joe Galante wants you to talk about this year's rookies, uh, the class overall stash or pass? Uh, well, if we're to talk about, I guess the cards are different than the players. Is Juan Franco won't have a rookie card till next year. He's a guy that I like. I think if he continues to dip, it's going to all be related to his performance, but that's a guy to definitely look out for. Um, again, he's not a rookie till next year. Uh, Jared uh, Jared Kelnick could be in Topps Chrome. He's going to be in Topps Update. That's another one that I like. Um, and also, he's attractive to me because, again, he struggled. Uh, and then he was sent down. Now he's back up. The other guys um, aren't quite at the same level. So I'm a Red Sox fan, Jared Duran, 24 years old. He could be, you know, he could have Trey Turner like upside, which could be great. Um, although, you know, where's Trey Turner's hobby at? So, you know, starting a little bit later, that's that's going to hurt him. So we'll see what happens with Duran. The other rookies like Jazz Chisholm, I was bullish on him at first, but he's he's really slipped. Um, I think his strikeout rate went back up to where it was in the minors. It's something that looked like he was going to be able to keep at bay um, and, and his batting average has dropped. So Maybe we're seeing the true Jazz Chisholm now. Cabrian Hayes, um, he's one I'm still interested in, but a little bit older with Cabrian Hayes. The other guy is Dylan Carlson, just because he's young um, and he hasn't done horrible. He's kept his starting job. He's one that I'm kind of looking at, but I'm not sure his what he brings to the table, his contributions will be attractive enough where he's going to be like a hobby stalwart or something like that. Mount Castle, not interested in because I think he's maybe a little too one-dimensional, even though he's doing better now. Alec Bohm, not interested in. I don't think he'll ever develop power. He's a little bit older. Um, and maybe I've forgotten some names. <laughs> Joe Adele. Uh, Joe Adele, he could be the, the star out of this year, um, but he's got the most to improve on, it seems. Strikeouts are still an issue. So I kind of talked about him with um, – in the same context or in the same like sentences like Luis Robert in the past, like they both had issues with plate discipline, with maturity, um, hitting breaking balls. And uh, even though Roberts maybe fixed that, they still strike out too much. And, uh, and Adele, I don't believe, walks enough yet. So 
There you have it, Joe. Thank you, Phil. I don't recognize, I recognize, I think, two of those names, but uh, thank you. Thank you for the, for the school on the baseball rookies of this year. Uh, okay. I want to thank uh, Triple C here for reminding everybody to hit that thumbs up button for uh, Sports Cards Live and Filmington. Sanderson Dor says 60 to 90,000 in cash. I'm clearly doing something wrong with my life. Or, or someone is just taking it all, you know, mortgaging their house and taking it all to the car. <laughs> that, that, that could be the case. Yeah. Not that I yeah. not that I would give that advice, but here's some advice from the baseball card exchange. He says investors could literally just buy the max dip in the offseason and sell at max peak at the start of the season and make 30 to 40 percent like clockwork. Now I will I will concur that I've always felt the best time to sell is at the beginning of the season for any sport because that's when every fan has hope for their favorite players. Every player has potential at the beginning of the season. Once the season starts, people don't meet their potential. Players get injured. All these things happen where at the beginning, every, there's hope for like everybody except players who come into a season that are, you know, that are already injured sort of thing. So, uh, so that's true. However, this sentiment is starting to make its its way throughout the hobby. People are learning about this now. And it, it's really over the past six months that people are starting to realize this. Yeah. And I wonder if it's still going to be the case or if too many people know it, it'll start to reverse. Don't know for sure. Just saying that it's not as, I don't think it's as reliable as it once was. Um, not that it's not reliable, just less reliable than it once was. Anything to add to that, Phil? Yeah, sure. Quickly, uh, smart money. You know, the, the investors that have come, assuming it's smart money, not dumb money, um, they are less, they're more muted to like um, the cyclical, the cyclicality of sports. So they're probably more likely to take advantage of that and to kind of take that arbitrage opportunity away. It still does exist because we as humans, collectors, investors, we're emotional. Um, there's been a lot of cross-pollination across sports, but investors, collectors, everybody has a finite amount of time, effort, and money. So they ultimately need to put it into one thing. Um, so... That's probably why not everybody's focused on every single sport at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Love what you collect. Welcome to the show. Says, do you grade your PC cards or do you keep them in one touches? Do printing plates have any value? I mean, I'm more of a PC guy than you are, Phil. So I'll take this one for now and just say I I grade several of them. And uh, now the grading is tough to do. I, I don't. I haven't graded many cards in the last year. I think 10, 10 cards I've graded in the last year. But uh, I do. But I also am learning to love one touches as well as a beautiful way to display cards. So for me, it's a bit of both. Phil, do you have anything for yourself though? Uh, not really. Okay. Okay. COVID card collector does. I, li- I like to call this guy Triple C now. Uh, Tops makes better cards than Panini. Very cool gem rate. We should applaud them. One thing to keep in mind though is that uh, a lot of it isn't who's making the card because they don't make their own cards. They all, they all outsource the printing and a lot of them, I think they use the same vendors. So it's more or less the materials of the cards themselves, little subtle differences in the material of the cards that are actually causing those differences. So when we hear that, you know, fill in the blank company has terrible quality control, you know, for, and not that it's an, it's a sort of an excuse, but not really, it's not their own manufacturing. Keep that in mind. And once those cards are produced, uh, they can't just go reprint them because their vendor has gone on to the next job from the next customer of theirs. So they can't just go re retool the production line as easy as we'd like to think they can. Anyway, just some information there. 
Baseball Card Exchange very astutely says when you when you buy sell is just as important as who you buy sell. Yeah, they're both very very important. One for the task is Gemrate on IG. That's an IG account uh, is a great resource. Might be worth getting him on the stream in a few months when his track record gets a little longer. Thanks for the tip. One for the task. We'll hopefully meet him at the uh, at the national. Troy says Brady equals early retirement, seven rings. Buy them, buy them rookie cards. Don't be that guy. I could have bought three cards for cheap. Now look at the price. Okay, that's a, that's like a run-on sentence with with dot dot dots and dashes and equal signs. Troy, usually I fully understand what you're saying, and this one I'm a little confused on, but that's okay. Thank, I'm just glad you're here. Uh, Andy Mack, to the dude bringing ninety grand to the show. Just make sure you bring some heat with you. <laughs> well, you. Bring it or buy it there. One, one, one of the two things will definitely happen. Okay, Phil, how are we doing for time? Good. I've got I've got some time. I've got right. uh, as much time as you need. Oh, wow. Okay, we could go for a while then. <laughs> so I, I'm going to keep on going through some more comments here because I'm looking at my the notes that I had, which was, there weren't a ton of them, but we've pretty much hit on everything that I definitely wanted to touch on with you from a programming perspective. I have this. I've mentioned this to you before. This is, guys, this is a um, this is an envelope filled with like actual baseball card and hockey card gum from like the uh, from the 70s. And um, a buddy of mine opened packs and sent me the gum because I said I'd eat it. And I'm just trying to figure out when I should do that. Should I do that? Like, should I eat some of it right now? Or should I bring it to the national and eat it there? Let's see what the comments say. I'm not sure. And a lot of it is still stuck to the card. So I might actually eat some card tonight too. We'll see. See how it goes. What do you think, Phil? Uh, maybe eat some now, eat some later. That Ooh. way your uh, your stomach doesn't explode That's all at once. Yeah. Maybe maybe a, 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 some good advice right there. Kevin Ashline, as a Packers fan, I've invested in both Aaron and Love rookies, and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Tough to say. Baseball Card Exchange says retail print runs are killing base cards and pop reports. Walmart, all right, all right. Yeah, select select football is probably one of the key ones he's talking about. Yeah, fair, fair. Ron fixes what? Are, what are you bringing in your family pack, Phil? Uh you know, I'm not going to bring eighty to ninety thousand. I'll tell you that. Maybe a maybe a photo ID, maybe a, maybe a loop, um, flashlight. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, maybe a few card savers or something, some emergency supplies. Although I'll have a backpack with a one of those fake Pelican cases to to haul around my slabs and stuff. Good, good thinking. All right, we need some more uh, Filmington uh, knowledge here. Quick thoughts on Ozzy Albies, Kyle Tucker, Brandon Lowe, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez, and Austin Meadows. Ah, uh, geez. Um, Okay, so Ozzy Albies, I mean, a lot of these guys I like and I think they're undervalued. It's just, will they be perpetually undervalued in the hobby? Will the hobby ever recognize them? Um, Kyle Tucker, probably a good buy. Probably a good buy because of his age and what he's showing this year and how nobody's noticing it. Um, it and he's been overshadowed by other Astro hitters, and that's probably going to change. Um, he could do something in the playoffs this year. I do think the Astros will go deep, but I don't think that affects card values in baseball like i do in other sports which could be its own whole um own other video if i was to talk about that Jordan alvarez is one that um super young super talented but will the knees hold up i think they've held up this year and will we forever discount him for being a primary dh type player 
we've gotten spoiled lately with players, young players like Tatis and Acuna that can contribute in multiple ways. And Jordan Alvarez, he's a great hitter. He's a great power hitter, but what else? Um, Ozzy Albies, kind of in the same boat as Kyle Tucker, young, um, relatively undervalued. Will the hobby recognize that? Will he continue to improve as well? Also something that I think I want to see from Kyle Tucker. Um, Austin Meadows, a little bit older, um, hasn't really done a whole lot this year. I think some of it might be bad luck, might be because of the changes they made with the chemistry of the baseball because he's hitting too many ground balls and his home runs are down because of it. Um, he's, he's traditionally not a guy that puts a ton of balls in the air. Um, Brandon Lau, I think he's been struggling with the breaking stuff this year, with hitting curveballs. And um, he's, he's strange because even last year he was terrible for the second half of the year and for most of the playoffs. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't be doing a whole lot with Lau. Of all those guys in the list, um, holding Al- some Alvarez cards, I am, and I'm holding some Tucker. I'm probably not actively buying any of them, but I'm also trying to focus a little bit more on other sports. Um, you can't you can't invest in everyone. It's going to dilute what you have of the existing players that you really want. And I've made an an active um, a concerted effort to get into other sports. Um, not too long ago, actually, like a little over a year ago is when I started to get into basketball and, and, and football because I want to have exposure across key players in those sports too. And and just having exposure to football right now, I think is very valuable because of the uh, how big the market is. And um, there's a lot of young kids that are collecting not just basketball, but football too. Domestic only, but it's a huge market and it's a lot bigger in this um, in this country versus basketball. Just talking about the sport, not the cards. Uh, to Troy, it's not just you, man. I, I don't really know who uh, some of these players are. I've heard a couple, I've heard a couple of those names, but uh, you're, you're you're definitely not alone. But that's okay, though. Uh, Card God says smart money will always be on vintage and true scarcity. Mantle, Mays, Ruth, Cobb, Ted Williams, etc. Modern is for the short game pushers and low end stragglers. Just one successful man's opinion. Well, but don't forget, though, that today's current players become tomorrow's vintage players and cards and all that, too. And now I know that, you know, obviously pre-war and the 50s and 60s, we'll never see times like that again. But there are players that will become legends and icons yet again. So there are, yeah. there are some 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 sweet spots still to be to be had, I believe. And there's also it's not just black and white. There's also a bridge of guys like Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, that are also one would consider very iconic. And maybe a lot of the collectors, investors have more demand and desire to own those cards versus the ones that they didn't never saw watching too. So you have to also consider that. But yeah, I agree. Vintage is uh vintage is a safe play for sure. And um, I think there's some value there. But it's less volatile, meaning the you know the rewards might be a little bit slower to come. But I think you're also going to be able to sleep better at night, not having to worry about, uh, you know, tearing an ACL or that sort of thing uh, in, in, in tonight's game. All right. I got a yes, eat the gum now. I got never eat the gum. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. I'm going to be eating the gum. We've got a uh, eat a few pieces. Make sure a doctor's close by when you eat that gum. I'd rather you get sick away from everyone. Well, that would be not at the show then. Uh, Joe says, bring to trade night and I will eat the gum with you. So there you go. Maybe we both get sick and go home early. Uh, Did you lose a bet? Gross old gum. Do it later. More fill, please. (laughs) We got lots of fill here tonight. Let's see you eat at least one piece now. We've got lots of of opinions on this. Eat the gum now. You don't want the U.S. health (laughs) care prices. Fair. That's that's, that's funny. I appreciate that. that. Wait till the end. Eat the gum in case you get sick. 
All right. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, name says, sorry if someone asked already and I missed it, but does Phil have any hockey cards? So, um, so somebody asked earlier about a COVID flip. So this is another flip that I'm proud of. So I had one hockey card up till about a month ago and I, I sold it. It was a, uh, Connor McDavid. I was going to almost say Connor McGregor. I, <laughs> I, I mixed that up once before and you'd, you'd laugh if I did that. So Connor McDavid, the young guns, PSA 10. I bought one before one of the spikes. I bought it around 600 bucks and I sold it for you know, 3,300 in trade a month or two ago. And I recently repurchased a true gem. because I'm like, you know what? You know, it's, maybe these true gems are a little undervalued right now, at least for, for this player, for this card. Um, so I picked up one of those to still have a little bit of exposure to, to that market because I think it's an important market. Yeah. No, it, I, I agree. It's an important market. I'm, I'm <laughs> it's, very, market. it's well underloved. I'll tell you that. Well underloved. Uh, okay. I like Joe says, uh, Jeremy, driven to offstage mail day by baseball baseball prospecting talk. Yeah, I started opening up my, my gum gum envelope, I, I, the bubbler. Casey Goldo says, analysis spot on, Phil. That's good to know. I couldn't, I, I personally couldn't evaluate your analysis, Phil, but it's nice to know that you were spot on during the show. Uh, Mr. Dub wants your thoughts on soccer cards. Uh, that's a, it's a tough market. It's, it's hard for me to understand it. Um, it has a potential to be huge, but I think people are in a way people last year towards the end of the year were kind of betting on, I think they were betting on it to become a little bit more mainstream in the U S like I don't understand. Gary V might understand a little bit more about international demand for soccer cards. I know with with basketball, it's a, a big thing with China and with Europe. With soccer cards, I don't know. I'm, I'm not in a, maybe a soccer card group where I see people transacting with with Europeans and with other countries, continents with with sports cards. So I think right now it's it's. I might be incorrect in saying this, so I apologize in advance, but it it's largely driven by speculation. And one of the nice things about baseball, albeit baseball being a dying sport, baseball has probably the largest base of collectors in proportion to, so as a percentage versus collectors and flippers. So that I think that keeps it a little less volatile, um, which I think what we, that's kind of what we've seen versus modern basketball. I think we've seen those prices fall a bit more if you detract them from like last August. Uh, versus what we've seen in baseball. And again, in a dying sport, clearly dying, average age of a fan is is increasing. That's not good. And I understand that. But with soccer, it's got some other other flags for me. Um, I did own some soccer cards in 2014. Was there a World Cup in 2014? Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, okay, no, after 2014, but there were 2014 soccer cards. When the U.S. didn't qualify, which I think was 2018, when the U.S. didn't qualify, those cards took a beating. Um, the market was a lot smaller then, uh, probably less global then. But I'm, I was holding non-U.S. national players. I was holding, you know, um, Suarez and um, James Rodriguez, and they took a beating. So that's something I know the U.S. team's probably more legit, and I know there's a lot of U.S. collectors and, and fans that probably watch a World Cup regardless of the U.S. being in it. And I'm, I'm one of them. I like to watch Italy, but. It is something to also, I think, consider that a lot of people are probably dismissing or just not paying a whole lot of attention to. But yeah, the soccer market, I don't know. I, I tend to think that th there's still not a whole lot of U.S. soccer fans or fans that live in the U.S. that watch international soccer. Um, 
And uh, that could be an issue with, you know, long term. Are you really going to want to hold a player that you know nothing about? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's how else are you going to know about that guy other than a breaker group or be some content that you follow? But do you really have passion there? And it's a little bit of a warning to me. Yeah, well, totally well, well said. I have one soccer card bought purely because of those reasons you mentioned. I, I don't follow it. I was it was just a, a FOMO sort of purchase. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes and how it goes in time. But I have no no emotional connection to it. No nostalgia. And uh, but it's only one. And, you know, I got into it good. So, you know, there's really no rush to sell. Hopefully the thing does well and I can. Maybe I'll take it to the Nationals as some trade bait. We'll see. We'll see. Mike Wicks makes a great point here. He says, just like with the stock market, you have to be well diversified with cards in different sports. So I think that's a great point. If you are investing, if you are collecting, you collect what you like and you don't really worry about what you need to invest in because you love what you own. And that's uh, so it's like we're talking to two different audiences a lot of the time, right? It's like a lot of the comments and questions that we get, we being, you know, myself during the show, other content creators, uh, people who talk about the hobby on their shows, uh, we can have two different answers for both for two different groups of of hobbyists. I think right, and, and and even just with investors, I mean, there's something to be said for somebody to focus on the one area of the market that you know the most, mm-hmm. even if it's not the one that didn't, um, as a whole, appreciate the most the year before. So thinking like basketball versus baseball. So I was thinking, oh, I'd probably need more exposure into basketball. But even if I had stayed 90% in baseball, I still would have done very well because I'm very good at baseball versus basketball. I'm more prone to make mistakes, buying wrong players, the wrong time, wrong products, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole new learning curve. So I think um, it's good to know about a lot of sports and also to buy those if you if you're educated on those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree completely. Yeah, like no, you you can have more than one niche, but really you need you need to be educated in what you're doing, especially, you know, knowing the players themselves, having as much insight as you can into the players versus, you know, I, I guess you can go by other people on in terms of what players are good if you're just looking to invest, but you really have to trust your source. I think what I'm gathering from this is that a lot of people are 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 saying that you're giving good advice on players right now, so you're probably gonna help people make decisions on who to buy because you're giving good knowledge and you have a good um, anal- and analytical skills of, of players. So that's one thing. But if you don't have someone you trust, you need to really know what you're talking about and what, who you're investing in. Just like do your research on a, on a stock, read their releases, look into the company, those sorts of things. But we got to go to something a little bit more important for one moment here, Phil. Ron Fig wants to know, what are we drinking at the party at the National? Ooh, well... Uh, depends what I'm feeling, you know, it's, I guess it's going to be inside. It, it's probably not going to be tequila. Then I like to do some tequilas outside in a nice summer weather, but it might be, it might be, uh, it might be bourbon, could be whiskey. Um, could be, could, could even be martini. I've been drinking some hot and dirties lately. Um, so, or it could be beer. It probably won't be wine. Not at this type of, uh, this type of event and the, the spillage, you know, um, probability goes up with wine and uh, I don't want to be the only guy in a room drinking wine with a bunch of guys. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll be drinking beer, beer. And uh, if I feel like I'm getting a little crazy, maybe a black Russian or two. I enjoy that. Nice. And, and 
And depends on how I'm, if I have a, if I take a couple cards and I, you know, maybe make a big sale, maybe I'll go for some like top shelf scotch. I like a nice scotch as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Angel's Envy is one of the bourbons I've been drinking a lot lately. I don't know if that's, they have that in Chicago, but somebody brought up Joe, Joe brought up uh, Knob Creek, Joe Gallant. So that's a, that's a good one. I've got that in the bar. Knob Creek's a good one. You're looking at the bar right now. You're just looking at the menu. That's right behind you. (laughs) Right. Yes. There it is. Knob Creek. Yeah, I do. I do like, uh. I've enjoyed Knob Creek uh, in the past as well. Sanders and Torres, almost 1 a.m. Got to go to bed. Thanks for another entertaining night. Yeah, no problem, Eric. Great to have you. Great to have you. I'm getting tired of myself. But, hey, okay. So here's – I didn't know what I was expecting that envelope, but I've got uh, I've got one little bag of 1975 Opeachy gum, <laughs> 1984 Opeachy baseball. Well, this will be hockey. This will be baseball. You're a baseball guy, so I'm going to eat the 84 Opeachy baseball gum that's in a bunch of little pieces. 84, 16, 30, 36, 37 years old. Let's see how this is. Oh, yeah. Tastes fresh. It's delicious. (laughs) Can you sue them if you get sick? It, it's almost gone. It dissolves. Yeah, yeah. So there's very little chew, just... No chew. There's no gum left. Basically, it's gone. <laughs> Done. Well, that was quick. Yeah, it's doesn't taste quite as good as it did when it was fresh, but... Um, you still got your empty carbs, so you got what you were going for, so... yeah. Still, the, the, there's a hint of that taste, and uh, blow a blow a bubble. There's nothing left in my mouth. I'm telling you, there's nothing left at all. Baseball card exchange says they made the COVID vaccine out of seven nano peachy bubble gum. Science, yeah, no doubt. Joe's up, uh, saying I'm going to puke. I just might. You never know. Phil talks about drinking wine like he does sabermetrics. <laughs> Very. Yeah, with a level of sophisticate, yeah. right? A level of sophisticate. All right, guys. Well, I know you said you had a lot of time. We originally talked. We said we go for about an hour and a half. It has been an hour and a half, actually an hour thirty-five. Let's uh, let's do a, a call for uh, for final comments from the crowd, guys. Final comments, question. No essays for Phil, though. No essays right now. But if you have any. Final comments, questions. The Nationals coming up. I'll be at booth 866, right beside Leaf at the right beside Leaf Trading Cards booth at the at the iconic auctions booth. Have a bit of a presence there for Sports Cards Live. Come on, by, come on by, say hello. I'll be walking around. Maybe a mask, maybe not. We'll see. Probably a mask, but you'll, you should be able to spot me. Say hi if you do. Love to meet as many people as I can there. I will be back on tomorrow night, guys, for the PWCC auction ending party for. Hockey cards uh, going on at uh, 7 o'clock Pacific. No, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. That'll be for about an hour, hour 15 or so. Come check that out. Couple of, I see a couple comments. Uh, Jeremy is turning green. No, I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> fine still, guys. I'm feeling fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, name, thank you, says. Great insight from Phil. I learned a lot about baseball. I know nothing. Thanks for the show. You bet. You betcha, man. Baseball card is the 58 Jim Brown rookie. Yes, it is a card to buy long term. I will give, I don't like to give advice. I will give advice on that. Yes, that is a card that you should, you, you, I would recommend anybody own long term. I, oh, full transparency. I do own one. 
myself, it is not for sale though. But I, because I own one, I would recommend other people do. You own one and you have an eBay, a pending eBay auction ending. It's tomorrow. ending tomorrow night. Please go bid. <laughs> I, it's not for sale, never has been, but it's a beautiful, it's a PSA 7. And it's a beautiful version of a PSA 7. No, none of that fading of the black background. No, no fish eyes in there. It's a beautiful copy. I love it. All right, Phil. Final final comments, quest, no, questions, uh, topics, anything else you want to talk about that we didn't get to tonight? Let me look at my notes. I love it. I love when the guests bring notes. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't think so. I'm excited for the national, though. And uh, if that Delta variant, if that gets in the way of my, my entertainment, then I'm going to be very mad, as will another 2 billion collectors. I know, man. That's the thing. That's why I was just saying about the mask. You know, it's uh, it it. All signs are that um, that you know there's going to be a lot of people that masks will be uh, important. I believe you know because there's going to be several non-vaccinated people uh, who may just spread the virus. You just don't know. And uh, for me, coming home to my two young children, having to cross the border, not wanting to quarantine when I get back. And I need to get a, te- a COVID test before I leave the country to come home. So I'm gonna. I need to. I need to get back to work when I get back. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'm able to stay safe, and everybody else does as well. That would be uh, a, a great situation. <laughs> uh, what's the trigger finger has gum? Yeah, gum FOMO for sure, for sure. Troy says uh, thanks, Phil, for coming on tonight. Great content, great analysis. Have a great time at the national. It's very nice. Card get card got sorry to ask again, but if attendance goes over a hundred thousand, will the city shut down this national since COVID rates are rising? The show could be a COVID hotspot. Should I be concerned? I mean, call the mayor. That's all I can tell you. I do not know what the city will will, will do. Uh, call the mayor of, of Rosemont and see what what they'll do, or or the organizers. The best advice I could give you, if you are concerned, uh, just be careful. Wear masks. Stay away from people. Don't shake hands. That kind of thing. Joe, thank you so much. Great double feature. Enjoy that, Mike Wick. Glad you enjoyed both shows as always. Joe Gallant says, Bonds and Clemens, goodbyes because they just might get in the hall. Thoughts? I I think so. The right cards of those guys. Same with Pete Rose. You just never know. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, and I mean, those players also, even if they don't get into the Hall of Fame, their their resumes are legendary enough where you think a guy like, look at a guy like Pete Rose. He still holds a ton of value and he's not in the Hall of Fame. So I, I think there will be more acceptance, maybe not by voters yet, but by collectors and investors, there's more acceptance of somebody like Barry Bonds being one of the top three hitters of all time. Um, did he cheat? Yes. Did others cheat? Maybe. Roger Clemens, similar situation. Top 10 pitcher of all time. We won a lot of Cy Youngs. Seven, maybe six or seven Cy Youngs. That's insane. So uh, will they get into the Hall of Fame? I don't think they will in the near future. They have a chance to get in in front of the New Era Committee, which is two years after their last year in the ballot, which would be 2024 maybe. But they still need 75% of the votes. And I think the current generation of voters isn't going to be the one that gets them in. So they need to get in front of a different situation, and that's their best chance. Uh, Obviously, that would help their hobby values. Um, but maybe some collectors and investors are kind of dead set of, of what they think about them already. Anyways, they don't need a, a group of voters to say that they're good enough to get in the hall of fame because people either think they're worthy or not worthy regardless of that. So, but yeah, I mean, I brought up 86 tops, Tiffany, the bonds card and a PSA 10. Um, I want to hold that 86 flare update, um, Clemens in a PSA 10. That would be the one of him to hold. Probably I would argue. 84? 
84? Oh, sorry. Yeah, 84 flare update. My bad. No problem. That's, this is the, and I'm not the baseball That's a baseball, player. you know, yeah. <laughs> I know that card, though, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trigger Finger wants to know, do you do consultations, Phil? I need baseball therapy. <laughs> I'm expensive. Very expensive. Uh, baseball card exchange. Let's all get uh, tattoos next, face tattoos next week in, or, in honor of uh, Billy Ripken. Well, not face tattoos, but you guys can read that for yourself. Uh, Casey Gold, thanks for the best fan-inclusive show out there. Thank you, Casey Gold. Much appreciated, and you're welcome. Glad you uh, you joined. I agree with TB12. The show better not get canceled. I do not want that to happen. Pick four guy wants me to bring my Engelbert Humperdinck card to the show to get graded at CGSG. Thank you for that. I just might do that. Uh, card God, I'm just going Wednesday and Thursday. Two days of spending. Have fun and be safe. Yeah, you, you have fun too, Card God. I'm sure you'll, you'll have a ton of fun. Trigger finger, where, where's the Greg Maddox card love? I have his, I have his Donruss rookie. It's, uh, it doesn't go for much. I think it's just a high pop card but uh, and a real high print run card as well. But I think it gets some love. That's a card that gets love. I mean, you know, you were talking before about, we were talking about, you know, these guys that may not get in the Hall of Fame due to cheating and all that. But, and, and a lot of Hall of Fame love is driven by, you know, that's what collectors choose to collect. A lot of set registry collectors do, do that particular set registry. But there are other set registries that these guys are on, like 500 home runs and, and other ones as well, all-star teams, these sorts of things, uh, gold gloves, where they still get re set registry love. So there's still demand for those cards. You agree? Yeah. No, that, that, is, a, that is a good point. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that, but yes. Yeah. That is very Mike, true. Mike Wick says, even if Bonds cheated, what he did was still amazing. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah, what 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 hurts both of these guys is they're not very likable, you know. So that's that's something that hurts them just as much as the the tainting of the cheating as well. You know, it's is you got to be liked on the field and off the field, you know, and yeah. that 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 matters for the hobby, of course. It does matter for the hobby, but it doesn't matter for it doesn't matter for some of those set registries or those right. uh, those sort True. of collections that some people will collect. They need those cards even if they don't like those players, unless they decide they're just not going to include them which is fair too. Uh, Will Sani says, what is Cleveland guarding? The Galaxy? One thing I'll say about that that I noticed right away is that Guardians and Indians has like the same last five letters, I think it is. So they it kind of, that's kind of a neat transition. Like there's only, a few, you know, I-N and Indians are the only different letters from Guardians, which has G-U-A-R. Yeah, that's it. Yes. So it's take out two letters, put in four new ones, which gives some continuity between the two names in terms of looks of the looks of the jersey and the name on the jersey and that kind of thing. So I thought that was kind of neat. I don't know if anyone else, did you notice that, Phil? That there's like the yeah, oh yeah, I did. There were memes on that. Um, oh, okay. I, I, maybe my friends made some of them, but um, yeah, I guess the Washington Redskins could have done like Washington Red something else instead of the Washington Football Team, right? Right, right, right. Uh, Rock Lake Tech says Maddox also has the 87 tops traded. Tiffany, yeah, Tiffany cars are always preferable. Triple V, welcome. I haven't seen you yet tonight. Says, Where's the Stan Musial love? I mean, he was legendary personality wise. Yeah, there, I, he gets the love. I believe he gets the love. He's, I've got his rookie card and it's a, it's a, it's a stunner. It's an absolute beauty. I, I, I give him love. <laughs> I'm with Phil leaning towards some tequila or bourbon. Knob Creek, yes. Angel. Oh. And Not a big angel envy guy. Okay. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. All right. Guarding Lake Erie. All right. Fair, fair, fair. The Washington Red Snappers, the Cleveland Steamers, <laughs> some other options. 
Trigger Finger hates the black border on the 87 Donruss cards with those brown. I I know they're not. I think Neo designed those. Yeah, they're not very nice looking cards. I agree. Ron, I'll put that up there, but I just got <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right, man. Let's uh let's call it a night. Um thank you for joining, Phil. It's been great having you, man. You're 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 a cool dude. Can't wait to meet you in a few days here at the night. What did you say? You're there Wednesday morning through Saturday Wednesday noon. Friday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks everybody for joining. I uh, will be live tomorrow. If you want to see some hockey cards end on eBay with PWCC, I love doing those. Got get, get great, uh, great uh, viewership for those as well. So if you're interested, check them out. It's how I, I, I basically cover the auction ending and it's a ton of fun. Joe, good night to you. We'll see you in a few days, sir. Thank you, AZ Brothers. Great to have you. Thank you, Show Me. Always good to have you for and skin as in golfers. Mike Wick, thanks, Phil, and thanks for doing all the shows. Jeremy, you're welcome, and I, I do enjoy it. Guys, if you haven't been here before, hit that thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. I appreciate it. If you want to follow Phil on Instagram, if you're not yet, at Filmington. It's been on the ticker all night. There you go. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. I'm sure you all have already. And uh, you can follow me on all my socials if you would like to. There's my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook group as well. We have a Facebook group for Sports Cards Live. Feel free to join it. I will admit you through. You'll see announcements for the show and a, some light chatter as well. And we'll do I'm gonna do the final comments and we're done, Phil. Then we are done. TB12, are you guys going to have booth set up? Phil will be walking around. I will be at booth 866. It's not a card booth. It's an auction. It's a iconic auctions, but I will have a little streaming station for sports cards live. Baseball card exchange tops you to a juiced insert with roid players only. No doubt that'd be funny. Charles Smith, good evening to you. Great to see you all. It says, thanks for the show, gentlemen. Good night. Enjoy them. Thank you, Charles. Great to see you. Ron Fig, all in good fun. Much love. I'll be in Toronto Tuesday morning. We'll see you there, Ron. Can't wait to meet you. Thank you, one, for the task. Really appreciate it. Dexflow with the tip of the host. Much appreciated. It says, Phil recently purchased a 1988 Game 1 World Series signed Kirk Gibson ticket stubs. What are your thought, uh, thoughts on ticket stubs? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if it's from a, a meaningful game, I think those could those hold a lot of value. Um, I wish I still had the 500th home run from Manny Ramirez. I saw that one actually in Baltimore. Um, but I think I threw that one out, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's desirable stuff that that's, um, that's not really my knowledge base, uh, general memorabilia stuff like that, but that's probably more valuable than a lot of the base cards in my, uh, my inventory. I, I'm just going to jump in and say, I, I think ticket stubs are pretty cool, especially if you were at the game. But even if you weren't, there's one account I follow on Instagram that shows ticket stubs from all very important, like the first Ken Griffey Jr.'s first game. You know, all, that's the one that comes to mind. He goes back in time. Mickey Mantle's, you know, whatever, 300th home run game, that kind of thing. Like some really cool things. I think they're cool. Dex Flow, um, congrats on that purchase. Baseball card lets us know that Filmington appears courtesy of Manscaped Beard Trimmers, Inc. Yeah, you do a good job with that beard there, Phil. Uh, it looks like it, but it, it's because of the resolution of the camera. It makes it look better than it actually is. Angie doesn't appreciate me skipping her. I didn't know what to do with uh, with your Vladimir Guerrero uh, comment, Angie. I didn't know what to make of it, but I was I, I, sorry, Angie. I won't, I won't skip you ever again. He's good. He's, He's good. Vladimir's good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> my, my sincere apologies, Angie. Trigger finger, Filmington Bowman. Oh, yeah. This came up earlier. I, I forgot about this one. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll do this one still. 
Bowman first, Bowman prospect, and Bowman Chrome rookies. I know Bowman first is the best option. Is there a clear second? Uh, not always a clear second. Tops Chrome has been gaining ground. This whole hierarchy tends to shift a lot from one year to the next. Um, Bowman, there's a lot of momentum behind Bowman. So it's like separated itself a little bit with that. The Bowman first base card, especially from the more recent years, people are really seeking that out over the tops flagship rookies. A lot of that has to do with the print runs and the pops of Bowman versus tops. Uh, but tops Chrome, uh, is, is a good one. If the player has one, Mike Trout doesn't have one, but most of the, the current players do have one tops Chrome Sapphire. If you're going to lump that one in the mix, or maybe that's a specialty set that you don't include, but tops Chrome Sapphire, would be near the top, if not at the top of the list for for most players. But of course, that's not um, a product that was featured before 2016. So I'd say Topps Chrome is a good one. Still don't sleep on Topps Flagship. It's still good. Um, just be very careful with not just populations of the products from the last two to three years, but also projected populations. What's in the backlog? What constitutes those 12 million cards? And next year, the 6 million cards in the backlog. And just be careful of that. There you go. Uh, trigger finger. Thank you, Phil. Dex flow. Thank you again. Appreciate what you, for the, the tip there. Very much appreciated. Uh, Wesker Griff is uh, more excited for the Filmington Surf and Turf dinner meetup than the actual national. Less than a week. Let's go. Me, Phil, uh, Ron Fig uh, agrees. And uh, there you go. Oh, sorry, I meant that one. There you go. Thank okay, guys, that's it. We we we've uh, we keep delaying the the end of the show. Thanks again, everybody, for joining. Thanks again, Phil. You hang it tight right there. See you all tomorrow if you're going to join. If not, we'll see you at the National. And if not there, we'll be back here the Saturday after National. My guest is going to be none other than Brian Gray, Leaf CEO, who is going to be doing some damage at the National. So we're going to get his perspective on how it was. Always a fun show with him. So good night, everybody. Thank you, Phil. Good night from you. And we are all done. Say good night, everybody. Take care, guys. All right. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.